Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Mo Mentum. And we are 30-year Wall Street analysts who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide our listeners with our favorite stock picks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news. But our bosses would never allow our unvarnished views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, we look at the September 2nd, 2011 edition of the Value Line, Obser- or Value Line Investment Survey Small and Mid-Cap Edition. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only, and that is not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, it's after work, after hours, just a hobby. So while Mo and I do a lot of important, careful work for paying clients during the week, uh, we don't do any careful work here. We're just drinking after work. And uh, third, so you are drinking this week, Mo. Am, Outstanding. Uh, I've been heavily drinking today, and Mo is just getting started, but you know that could impair my judgment. And then finally, my lawyer says I need to tell you that uh, the things we advise you here on the show may be exactly the opposite of what you should be doing, and we may not have your best interests in mind. So, after those caveats, if you're still listening, um, we hope to get into three or four, we might have a few uh, specials today, uh, three or four really terrific value ideas out of this week's small and mid-cap edition. And so, would, would, like to, would like to thank Alcoholics Anonymous for all of the emails they've been sending us, but we're not drinking that heavily. They and do we only, so much for us. We <laughs> only do it once a week, so don't worry yeah. about us, yeah, well, fans. Okay. <laughs> well, more, maybe more than once a week. Um, anything going on this week, Mo, or... I wanted to ask you something. Yeah. One of the things that came across my desk was, uh, you know, all of, all the firms are now writing the lost decade pieces, right? It's that time of year that everybody writes. The, yeah. You know, the S&P has gone nowhere. And I thought it was interesting that small cap value has been identified by all of the uh, strategists at our competing houses as being a big play in the last 10 years, as opposed to, obviously, the S&P, but small cap growth. Ah. So, but you're a small cap value guy. Yes. So what's the difference? I mean, value, the, what is valuable well, and the growth aren't here's value. Here's how I think. I mean, obviously, value is meant to be valuable. Uh, and growth ha, is... I love it. I yeah. love it when you get technical yeah, and explain you. these nuances. Not, you're not going to understand all this out there. Well, the odd thing is, value comes from something that is of a value, and growth is actually looking at a completely different metric, which is growth, and I think there is some confusion out there. Value investors, they certainly like growth. They just don't want to have to pay for it or rely on it, whereas a growth investor is going to be less concerned about the valuation and more interested in the certainty of the growth. The value investor is going to be more interested in the certainty of the value Value and, being only market multiple or value? Well, value market? in terms of being below its true value. So here in the shop, we uh, estimate for every stock we look at something called intrinsic value. So the question is, what does God think it's worth? And God is right. So what is that correct number? Or insert the deity of your choice. You know, that's it doesn't have to be God. But what is this thing really worth? What's the truth? So are you looking at... 
And we made. I mean, that's book value, right? Well, no, 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 no. Uh, you know that. But what's, what's its liquidation value? Well, what would a what would a rational investor, not an, not a dopey investor, uh, but what would a rational investor who is profit seeking themselves and who is apt to make a fair deal? What would that person pay for this thing? Now, and, and what would that person use to figure that out? Would he right. Use, and what, what would he use? What formula? Well, you may not use? know that, but what we do is we make a couple of assumptions. One is <clears throat> that person is going to be um, pretty intuitive. Anyone who's doing a deal is going to have some view of it. And this would be a business person buying a company. That's what we're looking at. What would a private individual pay for these companies that were buying the stock? Uh, we want to you know, kind of forget that there's a stock market for a minute and just ask the question, what would we pay for this company if we could call all our buddies and get the money together? And in some of these little ones, of course, we could, as you well know. So, um, but what we do in our shop is instead of saying, what is this thing worth right now, uh, we take the point of view is, what is it worth three or four years from now. Clearly, right now, if we're looking at it, it's because it, it looks cheap for some reason. Either they've had a bad quarter, they've lost a lawsuit, they've had a, uh, you know, a CIEO leave, they've had a competitor do something bad, and the stock's under pressure. And so that's when we come in and, and take a look and see, is this a short-term problem that's going to lift? Or do they have a bad business they can simply divest? Uh, or is it something that's more... Uh, a sustainable bad situation. If it's a sustainable bad situation, they've lost share, they're not re getting, getting it back, what have you, their patents have expired, we're not going to own it. But if it's something that looks like it's temporary and we can take advantage of Wall Street's general you know, short-term horizon, by looking out three years, Mo, you might agree that we're looking out about 2.9 years farther than most Wall Street analysts because when you're an analyst on the on the sell side on Wall Street, if you recommend something, um, you know, uh, even two quarters before it's apt to start moving, you're going to have a sales force throwing vegetables at you. I mean, you've been in that situation, and so have I. So Wall Street has no incentives to be early. And when you are careful not to be early, you're going to sometimes be late. And what we give up is any sense of, you know, knowledge about when these things are going to move toward their intrinsic value. So we get conviction about them being cheap. We monitor, obviously, every quarter, every month, every time there's anything going on at the company, we're adjusting our intrinsic value estimate. And a lot of times, it's simply the uncertainty of the future that causes these things to be cheap. There's flights to safety, and typically flights to safety don't pay well. So that's why right now the, the interest rates are so low that if you can just have a little bit of, uh, of a look into the future, um, you know, you can, you can do much better than you can get almost anywhere right now, and so that's why we, we do this. So for our listeners that are amateur value, want to be amateur value players. Well, there's some professionals on the show. All right, some professionals. Like Adib. Adib has a, an RIA now. He does? Yeah. They're just handing those out now? No, he, he went and got one. He's a listener who now has his own shop. I think that's fabulous. Competition. So I want to say hi out there. Hi, Adib. My um, question, give me, yeah. give me three quick ratios before you go on, or three quick, quick things that uh, if I want to be a value player, these are my go-to ratios or my go-to analyses that will, uh, will keep me straight and on the 
an in-value play? Well, I, I would say if you want to be certain you're looking at a value stock, the first test is, does, every, does anyone give a crap about it? The answer needs to be no. No one gives a crap. So that starts to be on track. Secondly, um, does it have a, a, a PE or an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple or something that's at a discount to the averages, which underscores that people might view it as you know, not, not that great of an opportunity right now. You, the supply and demand, you want something that's uh, got no demand, which by and of itself suggests that you're going to be getting it at a discount to the true value. Um, and, and beyond that, you know, price to book is another one. If you buy something below book, um, which book represents all the equity that's gone into the company over the years, including the earnings, less any write-offs that they've had. So actually book value is a less valuable uh, metric than it was, Mo, when we got in the business because back then businesses weren't as quick to write stuff off. Now if a management team makes a mistake and their returns on capital are too low as a result of the thing they overpaid for, they just write it off and boom, their return on capital goes up, their book value goes down. So it's not as great of a metric, but if you see something trading at a discount to book, you're, you're looking at a value stock. Now, on the other hand, it's quite likely a, a bad stock at this point. There's so few trading at discounts to book. So, you know, what do we look at as value investors? Is things that are trading below their true value, and depending on the industry they're in, it's not always a PE or an enterprise value to EBITDA but, or even price to book or price to sales, but those are the types of ratios that you would tend to look at. Um, but sometimes things come up that, you know, you'd value just on straight cash flow or you'd value on the basis of the underlying assets on the balance sheet. I mean, a lot of times value investors, you could summarize them as looking through the balance sheet to get value whereas growth investors are looking through the income statement right. to get value. And so there's a lot of different you know, ways to look at it. Um, but I'd point out that value investors, you know, they, they, they like growth. They just don't want to pay for it. So the way I might look at that is if you can find a stock with an enterprise value to EBITDA ratio or take the inverse, uh, EBITDA over enterprise value, think of that as a yield. And that yield should be sufficient enough for you to buy the stock. So that's you your uh, sufficient. What kind of a number? Well, I mean, right now the the, the long bond is at what three, four, three. So I mean, if you can find an an EBITDA to enterprise value of uh, seven, eight, nine, ten percent, even twelve percent, and, and you define your enterprise value as well. It's uh, the market cap of the equity, so shares times price plus all the debt, minus the cash that they don't need to operate the business. Sometimes they need a cash balance to operate it. Don't subtract that out. Uh, but what you get at is the enterprise value is meant to be the total price that we'd have to pay to own the company outright, and that would give us, including the bonds and the equity, and that would give us a right to the EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation. We'd still have to pay taxes, and we'd still have to invest in, you know, maintaining the business. And you'd have to subtract those out um, as well, the maintenance capital spending and the interest to get to your net number. But if you look at the gross number, it's pretty comparable to a bond yield. And so that's why I say if you can get an 8 9 10% yield, 
then a value investor is going to be happy with that, and then you get the growth for free, in effect. If it grows at 3%, 4%, 5%, that adds to your return, but you don't need it to make it a good stock. The other thing I'd say between a growth and a value investor is value investors buy stocks at prices that are so cheap, typically, that they don't have to worry about what happens overnight because if anything happens, it's apt to be a good thing and make your stock go up because it's washed out. A growth investor, when they go to bed, they got to worry that something bad doesn't happen because then their multiple collapses. Right, hijacking the growth can, can happen a lot faster. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, there there's some differences, Mo. I mean, I think that, uh, Well, back you know, back Back in the day, we did breakup values, and that is... What would what is the cash? Well, first of all, you'd do a forecast of the cash flows with some degree of certitude. Yeah. What is the valuation, the discounted valuation of those cash flows? Sure. Then we'd subtract out the debt, and we would say that's what a businessman would usually value. We have account. models like that in the shop, discounted uh, cash flow models. We forecast out revenues. Uh, income statement, cash flow balance sheet out 10 years, and then, and then we're discounting What back would it be worth flows. in 10 years based on that forecast? Discount it back, and there's what, what the stock should be at, and if it's at a meaningful discount to that. Yeah, and then there's a lot of assumptions in that. I mean, what should the interest rate be, uh, the required return, if you will? What, what, what should you be willing to accept on a particular stock uh, as a return is a huge impact. If I'm willing to accept 5%, then that stock could be a much higher price, and I'd get my 5% than if you were requiring a 10% return, the stock would have to be much lower right. for you to earn that. So, you know, each person has to decide, you know, where they're comfortable. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, we end up using a little bit of um, something called uh, the capital asset pricing model, which we don't use in our fundamental analysis, but we use it to determine what the discount rate should be on those cash flows that we're discounting back. So, But that's a lot of technical stuff. I, oh, on with I can't believe I can say all that after all these beverages, well, actually. Now, now we get to the fun part. Which is what? Alphabetizing the names. Oh, yeah. All right. So I, I now have them in alphabetical order. You is after E. Oh, Sorry. So now you're going to do a special one, too, though, right? I am. Should we end. save that for the end? Oh, yeah. That's okay. very special. We did have someone write in and ask that Mo select a stock this week. Ooh. And so I just want to report that Se he, he has. <laughs> he has selected one. So, uh, well, let me just jump right in then. Go. Here we are at the 14-minute mark. Hopefully you've just skipped ahead to this part because this should be the best part. Uh, first up... Uh, and these are out of the September 2nd, 2011 Value Line Investment Survey, small and mid-cap edition. Uh, let's see. Okay, first up, Electro Rent Corp, ticker ELRC. Um, and I don't have a page number, so sorry about that. What do I like about this? Well, I want to say I did look through every stock in this week's Value Line uh, Small and Mid-Cap Edition, and there were, you know, three or four that looked good. This one, what I'm attracted to, again, looking across the top of the Value Line, uh, it's 15 times earnings, which is a little bit of a premium to the market. That doesn't thrill me. But what I'm looking at is a 5.2% yield. And as we were talking about earlier, if you're having trouble... Uh, getting a return at the bank, if your CD rate 
of uh, less than 1% is not satisfying you, then this, you know, the stock market is actually, for the first time really in my career, a place that you have to go to get any decent yield. And so what you need to do is make sure it's a sustainable dividend. In this case, the company for years was earning, uh, you know, well north of the current dividend, which is 60 cents a, a year. Uh, but in 2009 and 2010, they dipped below that in earnings. They maintained the dividend at 60 cents, I think, which suggested they had confidence. And then uh, this year, the, the earnings are well above the dividend again. Their payout ratio is um, about 70%. So they're going to earn about a buck. They're going to pay out 60 cents, and that's a 5% yield. Um, what does ElectroRent do? Is they engage in the rental, lease, and sale of electronic equipment. Uh, they primarily rent general purpose test and measurement instruments, personal computers and servers from various manufacturers. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks like they've done that pretty well. Their, their return on capital has never been too great, and I think basically their return on capital reflects the, uh, the rate at which they're earning on their leases. So it's more of a real estate type of return, this mid to upper single digit. But on the other hand, it's most likely extremely secure because if people don't pay, they get the stuff back. And, uh, and my, you know, again, they don't report like a bank, but I'm going to guess that their losses here are very low. If you don't pay me, I come and I get my thing back. So as a result, um, you know, the balance sheet's in pretty good shape. They have no debt. They have $4 a share in cash. The stock's at 15 and change. And uh, it looks like it's been very stable. They grew pretty consistently. And even in this little downturn, they didn't fall too badly. And then last year, they bought another company out of bankruptcy. So evidently, their value guys, just like we are, my guess is they got a bunch of assets. Uh, they paid $11 million in cash, and yet sales went up 100 million. So whatever they paid for, it looks like it generated, um, you know, very large multiple of that in revenue. And their operating margin, you know, it's it's been coming down a little bit, but it's it's uh, it's 40%, and I'm going to suggest that it's coming down in part because their percentage of their revenue that represents sold product is going up. And of course, if you sell something, the margin is going to be much lower than if you rent something. Uh, unless they, the, the company that they acquired is, has an intrinsically lower margin. Well, that could be too, but you see there's a little, there's like a there trend cups, here yeah. of yeah. the margin coming down. But that certainly could be the case too. The main point here is it looks like a pretty stable business. The dividend looks well covered. It's an industry where you know there's going to continue to be needs. And with capital constraints and banks not willing to lend as readily to startups and such, my suspicion is, is that the rental market in some cases is, you know, where you have to go to get the stuff you need to support your little company. Um, recent numbers in terms of quarterly sales, quarterly earnings, all, you know, a little flattish with last year, um, which is not really a shock. Uh, they did, according to Value Line, raise the dividend, the quarterly dividend, a nickel last quarter. So they could be on, pa on a path to have a, a 70 cent di uh, annual dividend this year with a 20 cent quarter leading to then 80 cents next year. So the thing I'd point out <clears throat> is right now the yield's 5%. 
if you buy that and you keep track of your cost and they raise the dividend every few years, you know, there's a little ratio called yield on cost. And you could get out a few years, they've raised the dividend a few times, and suddenly your yield on your original cost, which is the yield you're looking at in a bond, by the way, could start to move towards 8, 9, 10% over a 7, 8, 9 year you know, period. And um, I think that could be very attractive to people with, uh, you know, money in the bank that's just not earning anything anymore. And so uh, I like this one as a you know, long-term spot to earn a little yield. I think it's very safe. Electro rent, ticker ELRC. How about that, Mo? Well, you know, I, I, I like the fact that they've done three years in a row of, of 60 cent dividends while the cash flow per share has gone from $2.50 to $3.04 per share. So the fact that they just raised the dividend a nickel suggests, yeah, they're going to continue to, the dividend is going to continue to track the growth in cash flow. The cash flow per share has come up uh, largely, I think, because of this acquisition. Uh, so if it's a good acquisition, you know, it looks like your, your dividend is not only safe, but the increase is going to stick. I would want to know one thing. Yes, sir. Renting telecom equipment, are they adequately depreciating that equipment? Because I know that if I tried to point. sell my iPod from four years ago on eBay, I think I'd get a nickel for it today. And I think pretty yeah. much everything I bought, that's a, at least on the consumer electronic side in the last five years, if I tried to sell it today, I'm probably not going to get much money for it. So I don't know what their depreciation, which this year's 50 million on sales of you know 230 million, is that a is that a good number or a bad number? I really want to get my arms around. Well, that. you've got some information here to make that judgment, and I think you're exactly right. If you're not depreciating it, you're you know you're going to have a big balance sheet loss at some point. But their total assets are 306 million, right? And their depreciation was 50 million. So they're giving themselves so, about a four-year-ish. Well, uh, depending on, uh, you know, we don't have a capital spending number here, which would be helpful. Let me see. Or actually, I'm we sorry, do. We, do. we do. So they're spending 390 a share, 390 times 24 million shares. And by the way, Value Line, could you put a depreciation per share? You got the CapEx per share. We just, I got to do the math here now. This really, I don't like using my calculator, but I will. Thir See, 3.88 is the capital spending per share. Common shares outstanding, 24 million. That's 93 million in capex. Right. And 50, uh, call it 50 million in depreciation. 50 million in depreciation. So they're um, they're depreciating at half the level of their capex, which suggests they're going to grow because they're adding assets faster than they're depreciating them. The fact that it's 50 million a year on 300, 50 divided by 300 is uh, 16%. If I take one over 16%, that is a six-year life, life on their equipment. And, you know, to your point with telecom equipment, you know, that, that could be long. It could be a little long. But on the other hand, what we don't know is a bunch of this, you know, asset number could be desks, some warehouses and things That's like that. That's not depreciating. Right, right. Uh, no, I tend to agree with you. I think the dividend uh, certainly is a great yield. Um, the cash flow would suggest the dividend sustainable will continue to grow if the depreciation number makes some sense. Uh, the other question I'd have is, hmm, company just went bankrupt in their field, presumably. I don't know. Does that tell you anything about the industry or just this company ran afoul of some issues? But aside from those two little hiccups, I think the uh, 
I think the yield more than justifies the, the concerns. Yeah. Well, clearly their industry had problems just because <coughs> every industry had problems. And I like the fact that instead of acquiring a company, they, uh, you know, they went down and, uh, and bought them out of bankruptcy, which I'm pretty sure they did not pay full price yeah. in bankruptcy. In fact, right now, uh, if you look at the market cap of this stock, it's uh, 24 times 4. Let's just call it $90 million or whatever. And they have, um, let's see, $300 million in assets. So, um, and what's their sales? Uh, let's see. Their sales are 228 Their assets are 305 So their sales are about 90% of assets or something like that. Whereas the thing they just bought, they paid $11 million for it. And their sales went up by $80 million. So it looks like the market value of those assets, if we can just use their own sales-to-assets ratio as some benchmark, they, it looks like they got a hell of a deal. And maybe they paid, uh, you know, if the sales on, on those assets are $80 million, maybe they paid 15% of market value here, something like that. I don't know. It's interesting. But... Uh, Obviously, do your own work. Not a guarantee. Okay, next. Next up. Uh, this stock uh, is uh, called Landauer, ticker LDR. And uh, the thesis on this one, did I say the thesis on the last one? Let me see here. A sustainable yield. That was my thesis on electro rent. Okay. I agree with you. On this one, the Landauer. <laughs> The thesis is growth with a yield. Growth with a yield. I should say sustainable yield. Um, Landauer, again, this is one of those stocks that is a little too expensive for me. It's 19 times earnings. It's a 25% premium to the market multiple. But, again, I'm gonna, where am I going to get some yield? And this one's 4.5%. And, again, you look at the payout ratio. That's 215 a share in dividends, and earnings are forecast for this year at 265 and 280 next year. Uh, and so, and I look back over the history of earnings, and this is a company that, even during this bad period we've been through, did not have a down year in earnings. So I'm going to suggest that the uh, dividend is going to be sustainable. You know, you've, you've also had seven years of a flat stock price, and I'm saying that as a positive. Yeah, no, that's right. I did seven, notice that. Seven years, even during the big downturn, yeah. this stock actually went yeah. up during the crash. Yeah. So it's been around this $50. Or so. It's know. amazing. It looks like just uh, some kind of bond price line that was not a muni. Looks like an not EKG a, for a, not dead, a yeah, dead person. That's true. It's not a U.S. bond. Yeah. But, you know, so, so what do they do? How are they doing this? I don't know. Let's see. They provide technical and analytical services to determine occupational and environmental radiation exposure. The company offers services for measuring the dosages of X-ray, gamma radiation, and other penetrating ionizing radiations to which a wearer has been exposed. I mean, we've got this equipment all around here, Mo, right. as you might, you know, right. so that's pretty typical. But... Um, uh, no, really, I'm, I'm going to guess that... Um, radiation badges. Yeah, radiation badges. In our environment, the security forces are growing faster than economies. 
the transportation authority, all these kinds of people need these badges because they're sitting around all these x-ray equipment, nurses and uh, any security personnel. And so when you look at the sales line, it just goes up every year. 60 million, 70 million, 75, 79, 84, 90, 94, 114. I mean, it just blew right through the recession. On the other hand, let me give you another series. Yeah. Sound, this sounds like a NASA countdown. Okay. 49, 46, 45, 43, 37. Goes with the margin. Wow, that was pretty good. That was outstanding. Um, that is what the operating margin. Yeah. Well, I think what it means is that their profit is going down. <laughs> yes, I do. Hmm. I do think that. <clears throat> now, why is that happening? Well, I think as these deals get a little bigger, um, they're discounting. They're them. discounting a little bit. I'd also notice that their return on capital is coming down a teeny tiny bit, and I don't use the phrase "teeny tiny" lightly. Well, certainly not together, the teeny yeah, and the tiny. It's both in this case. And so, but the margin's coming down faster than the return on capital. So what I'm going to guess is that their customers are saying, look, we don't mind paying, but why should we be paying if you're achieving economies of scale? We only want to pay incrementally. But so they're, they're not achieving economies of scale, or the margins wouldn't be declining. Well, But, but they, their customers think they're... Well, they're achieving economies of scale on the investment. Because their return on capital, at least over the past couple of years, has stable. been a little bit stable. And they have uh, almost no debt. So they've got uh, a market cap here of, let's call it, 10 million shares times 48. That's 480 million. They've got 12 bucks, or I'm sorry, 12 million in debt. Yeah. Uh, the coverage ratio, now Value Line doesn't tell me the interest expense, but let's say it's 5%. It means they're paying, uh, you know, $600,000 on. 40 million in EBITDA, or, you know, that's covered roughly 80 times. So feeling very comfortable about that. And they've got these great returns on capital, a great sales profile, and a 4.5% yield. I don't even, I don't know what else I would need to know on this one. Um, And you call this what, stable growth? Because I called it stable stability. I called it growth with a yield. Without the yield here, I don't know that I'm that interested because the stock price is higher than I'd want to pay. But I like the yield, and the fact that this thing is growing, that ratio I mentioned last stock, the uh, yield on cost, these guys are actually growing the dividend at a pretty good clip. And so um, you could see a point in time three, four years from now where your yield on your original cost starts to move to 6 7%. And... uh, uh, and obviously, this is also an inflation hedge because if there starts to be inflation, which buckle up, I'm going to say it's probably coming, these guys are going to get pricing because all the stuff that's happening uh, with their customers is going to be going up in value. And so they're going to get their price for their little badge that protects people's lives, and that's going to translate into a bigger dividend. So I like this one a lot. I don't like the valuation so much, but I'm not interested in this being bought out. I just like the yield, and on that basis, I'm going to recommend it. I, I like it too. I call I like it. I called it stable stability. It's got seven years of a stable stock price. You've got relatively uh, stable, you know, a little bit of growth in the in the in the revenue side. And the only thing I would want to go back and make sure that your assumption that this is an economy's issue with the uh, with the operating margin 
is in fact true. I suspect it's true because all the other ratios suggest that, but I just want to make sure there's no one that's entering the market, that it's not being produced in uh, China or in, in Asia cheaper. Yeah. And uh, But if they have a proprietary niche, yeah, I would, I'd be right on that with you. Well, uh, there, you, we should check that out. I just want to do a little math here. $93.8 million in revenue in 2009 and a 43.7% operating margin. So that's $41 million in operating income. Then the next year, 114.4, a lower margin, 37.9. So that's um, that's 43 million. So basically, on a 20 percent increase in revenue, in revenue, they picked up just roughly a 10 percent increase in operating income as a result of that margin erosion. So yeah, you, we got to make sure that doesn't keep happening. Yep. But if uh, if if that's we got the uh, coast is clear on that. I'm with you. Okay. And then finally, now this week, um, Mo and I had, uh, we had agreement on those two names, but I see we, we've got different, you, we've actually got different third stocks. I went for the entertainment value. You went for the investment value. Yeah. Just so, two different values from the value guys. So you want, you want to go first? You want me to go? or Dry ships. How do you want, okay. Help me with this one. Okay. Where's Dry Ships. Ticker symbol is D R Y S. D R Y S. You, you, you don't need that kind of help. No, no. Okay. All right. Here's what's the investment thesis here? The investment thesis is this is a stock that's going from a hundred dollars to two dollars and fifty eight cents. So you have very limited downside. Downside limited. Dry ships did concern me. I'm not sure if that's a bit a problem with the business plan. Or the problem with the engineering because dry ships. You got to get that thing near the water. Is that your? Is that what you're trying to say? I don't know. It's sort of like stationary <laughs> cars, stationary bicycles. Well, mm-hmm. what's the? The whole concept is flawed. It might be flawed, which is maybe why it went. But it is a. It's 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 a Greek company. Did they not have to disclose that they weren't going to be putting these things? Uh... It doesn't say yeah. anything in the description about water. Clearly, the There's buyers the, at 100 thought it was going to be in water, yeah, but well, then as it turned out, not. And that's why it's they call it dead weight tonnage, because if this was in the water, it wouldn't be dead weight. No, it would be floating. Be floating weight. Exactly. Floating exactly. Weight. So a little bit of an issue there. Yeah. If you believe, well, the other thing that's interesting is this is a company with $27 billion. No, two, 2.8. Is that $2.8 billion? Yeah, $2.8 million. $2.8 billion in debt, and it's... Um, Twenty million market cap company. Yeah. Well, that's that's Greece for you. Only kidding. Well, no, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's it's a uh, it's a seven hundred. Yeah. You know, one thing these guys have done is while the stock's been going down, they've gone from thirty million shares to three hundred. I actually I just crossed. I just ran my pen through that. Sixty-eight yeah. million. They have. They have. What, what is that's the same times. as inflating your yeah. currency? Yeah. They have uh, deck doubled. Their uh, their share count, and that it, that's too much. That's too much. If you haven't read uh, Michael Wolf's column or story on Greece in Vanity Fair, Google it. Michael Wolf. Michael Michael Lewis. Lewis. Michael Lewis. Different guy. Say that over Different. And if you haven't read uh, Michael Lewis's piece in Vanity Fair on Greece, Google it. Go read that piece. Wanna. 
One of the funniest stories you'll read, very entertaining, very informative on Greece. You probably won't want to buy this stock after you is read it. Is it about the shipping? It is, it's about the whole country. Maybe the stock is indicative of the country. But if you believe that these, these bank mergers in Greece are going to turn the economy around. Oh, this is a Greek company. Shipping? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, where are they? Of course, look at all of the, uh, look at all the vowels in the company uh, location. Amaruna Zinavanasana. How many A's and O's are in that word? That's Greek. Uh, too many. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. So it's either that or it's Maui. No, it's Greek. Um, so for entertainment value, dry ships, go look it up. It's a play on Greece. Is that the is that so <laughs> is that it? Is that it? Well, I do want to say, you know, what one of the reasons this came up is that it's four point six times earnings. So you gotta look at it. It's a thirty percent uh it's seventy percent discount to the market PE. Now the stock has gone from one sixteen to two, but um, You've only got two dollars of downside from here. You know, it turns out that there's a huge uh, incremental shipping capacity about to come on because a few years ago, when China was growing its demand for raw materials at 20 percent a year and prices were going up, there simply weren't enough ships. And at the prices that raw materials were at, the shipping rates—I this was in the paper a couple days ago—ships that were getting two hundred thousand dollars a day three years ago are now getting. $10,000 a day, and I don't want to have to do the math on that, but that is a lot lower. Yes. A lot lower. And so the stock is completely anticipating, <laughs> anticipating this terrible time that's coming, and I don't know how terrible it's going to get, but, um, you know, the, the company did a billion dollars in sales in 08, $850 million last year. Um, the market cap right now is about $700 million, and so where's this thing going to go? I don't know, but in, in 07, when they had 30 million shares, the stock got to 30. That was a $900 million market cap on $580 million in sales, so it went to two times the sales level in market cap. So right now, uh, if, if sales go to $400 million, the stock could stay here, and there is some precedent for it being at this value. And then, you know, what I think is when people see a $3 stock price, they don't think there's 380 million shares. They think there's 20 million shares. So maybe people won't send this down anymore. They think it's already beat up. I don't know. But and the market, the market for high-end yachts is exploding. What do we, what do yeah. they convert these ships to high-end yachts? Well, I mean, you could do a lot with them. You could turn them into uh, amusement parks or uh, cruise ships for pets. I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, I, I just, you know, you you wanted to talk about this. The thing I thought was interesting here, I don't know if I can buy it because you want this wave of overcapacity to roll by. But Wave? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, but it's just, it's four times earnings, so you got to at least look at it. So I, I wouldn't buy it right now. So Last one. Last one. This is a real one, uh, sort of, other than our caveats. And I own this. Uh, Universal Technical um, Institute, ticker UTI, it's 13 times earnings, a 20% discount to the market PE. These guys have schools. They have schools that teach people how to repair automotive and diesel and industrial engines. They've got 11 campuses in the United States. They have some tremendous partnerships with the best brands in auto. So. 
Um, if you're Mercedes-Benz, BMW, NASCAR, Audi, um, Volvo, all your top mechanics are trained at UTI, and some of these uh, brands allow UTI to use this in their advertising. So, you know, if you're sitting at home, it's 2 in the morning, you're on the couch, you're just coming down from some, you got a cable show on, you've probably seen their ads because they say something like this, hey, are you just laying around? Maybe you want to think about getting to work. And so um, unlike a lot of schools that have been in the news recently um, and under scrutiny for um, being able to turn degrees into professions, these guys actually do. It's, this is not an English degree from some firm that you know, can't get you a job. This is repairing motors. And so I think that their uh, placement rate is 85 to 90%. This is serious stuff. And, uh, and, and these people get good jobs, and they have a giant placement office. So there's been a lot of congressional scrutiny. If you Google up uh, for-profit you know, education, there's been a lot of scrutiny coming out of Congress showing that people that take loans, why is Congress getting involved? Because they take government-backed you know, loans to go to school, and then they don't get jobs, and then they don't pay the loans. So that's been a big problem in the industry. And frankly, it's why this thing is right now 12 times earnings, Instead of the 20 times earnings it used to sell at, it's not because anything's gone wrong at UTI. It's because their industry has been broadly painted as evil because they not only take money that's been, you know, backed by the government, but then they spend it on things like advertising. And the Congress doesn't like that. Now, these guys... Their graduates do pay back the loans. They can demonstrate that it's uh, real jobs, and, it, and in fact, they have some of the best partnerships in the industry. The other thing I like about this is they've managed to put up very good returns in the mid to upper teens generally, and then in, in some years it gets into the 20s. Yeah, what happened in 2010, 27? 27% last year, and then this year, you know, it could be a little bit higher than that. Earnings are a little sluggish because we... Um, when we get job growth, people don't go to school. So when you come out of a recession, they have a little sluggishness, sluggishness in student population growth simply because a lot of those students get jobs doing something else instead of being retrained. But generally over time, they've had a, you know, a, a very stable record of, of, uh, of getting kids taught and getting them jobs. Now, it's a, probably also fair to say that unlike Harvard, the uh, the graduates of these schools don't contribute massively to the endowment. Uh, you know, I can't speak to that. I do know that people are very uh, excited about their school, and one of the things they've done in the last few years is they've created, instead of this being in some kind of strip mall and you walk in and it's next to a Walgreens or whatever, it's some of these for-profit schools, they, they make campuses. And, uh, and they look nice, and they attract people who have some aesthetics as well, and then they, they, they package it up with, you know, NASCAR. These guys are the official fixers of NASCAR cars, and that's some of the sexy stuff that they advertise to people. But you know, this is, I've, met the, I've met the CEO here. It's a very professional operation, and they got no debt. They have $70 million in cash, which is about 3 or $4 a share on a $14 stock price. And my thesis here is simply this is one of the places where, you know, students can get a return on their investment in education. That's not always the case. Even at your, you know, Ivy League schools, I mean, not everyone's getting a good return. Your state schools, your Big Ten, your Pac-8, all that, 
these guys are delivering a return on investment in education. Uh, they're putting up decent numbers, no debt. And, uh, in fact, last year they had negative working capital, which means they are cashing the checks from their students before they have to pay the gardener uh, of the lawn, if you will, something like that. And so um, there's no dividend here, so this is unlike the other couple plays. But it's a cheap stock that under normal times when this sort of cloud lifts from Congress, this thing can go back to 20 times earnings. They're going to put up. Uh, you know, a buck fifty a share in earnings the next couple years, and I think you got a $30 stock here on your hand over the next three or four years. That's why we own it, Mo. Well, I'll keep it in mind because if the S&P goes to 900, I might enroll. Yeah, that I know we both have to have plan, plan B. Plan B, yeah. That's right. so, um, so that's all I had on that uh, UTI, Mo. That's good. Our two blue plate specials. Now the two the two other names, you want to you pick your best one? My favorite? Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't want to get the same favorite as you, though. Well, we might, though. You never know. All right. Uh, I am going to go with the Landauer. Ah, me LDR. Too. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Double, me too. double Me too. Favorite. Safest, safest, nice dividend yield, stable in this kind of a market. You, you really can't take out too many insurance policies. Belt and suspenders. Yep. My top choice. Well said. Oh. Well, that's it. Uh, you've uh, managed to spend another half hour listening to the value guys. Uh, see all our caveats, all our uh, bios, uh, pictures of our childhoods at www.thevalueguys.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night, Irene. <laughs>